0: Amen. Well, tonight, um, we've got two sessions left. Um, in the last session, I want to deal with teenagers. Um, even though uh, Ella's got a ways to go, it's never too early. Because remember, we're raising adults, and unfortunately, we have to traverse the teenage years in order to get there. And so, um, so if, you, if you think, okay, I'm, I'm training my two-year-old to be an adult, you also have to keep in mind that that two-year-old is going to be a teenager, and so the, the issues you're dealing with with your two-year-old will be the same issues you're dealing with when they're 15, but they're gonna look different. They're gonna be bigger and harder. And so the more you can accomplish when they're little, the less grief you have later because remember the same issues uh, just bubble up in new, new ways and so we'll, we'll get started. So what we're gonna say tonight about discipline uh, and always keeping in mind our objectives, the goals, uh, the goal is a, a self-governed adult. And so uh, we've got 18 or 20 years to get there. And so you're, you're recognizing that the goals never change. Uh, the manifestations of the challenges change, but in principle, they remain the same. Uh, we're going to see it's always about who's in charge. And uh, who, who gets to make the decision? That was the issue in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Who's in charge? Is it going to be God or me? That's the issue at your house, too. And since you represent God at your house, uh, and your children, in that in that instance, represent children of Adam, uh, they're going to be trying to do what Adam and Eve did. Uh, so think of your sons and daughters that way. And your job is to do what God does in those situations and to represent him. So, I've just jotted down a few notes, and I'm hoping that we have some time at the end to take your questions, but we're going to focus on the issue of child discipline. And let me begin by saying there are there are several kinds of discipline, but the two basic kinds I want to mention are formative and corrective. Formative is is should occupy the bulk of your discipline. Pretty much Think of this. Everything you do in the raising of your children involves two things, doctrine and discipline. You're, you're teaching them what to believe and how to act. and In other words, you're giving them instructions. There's the doctrine or the teaching. And discipline is enforcing what you've taught. That's your job. Doctrine, discipline. Teaching them what to do and making sure they do it. And so you've got to make decisions. You can't teach them everything. You have to decide what's important to teach them and which things are critical. <clears throat> and so if you know your job, okay, to raise adults, and I do it by giving them instruction and enforcing the instruction, doctrine and discipline, doctrine and discipline all the time. Uh, folded in with all that is fun and, and happiness and joy and lots of good things because that's part of what you're teaching them, right? Right. Um, and then, and so within that context, let, let's just talk about the formative part of that. That's primarily the doctrine part. That you're forming how they think. You're forming what they know and what they believe. Uh, you do that when you. We're gonna need a couple more chairs, Lance. Um, um, you can just fill the hole back here. Y'all get the Y'all get the top of the key. In the middle. <laughs> well, I was going to use them as examples, but now they're here. There you go, right <laughs> on. Yeah. Um, so you're, the two things you're doing all the time with your kids is doctrine and discipline. Teaching them what, and then enforcing. Formative discipline that you're you're involved in is what I do as a pastor every Sunday when I preach. I'm just... Given, or in this Bible study, this is formative discipline, I'm trying to figure out what I, what I need to do and how to do it and maybe getting some help doing it. So you're forming your children by giving them positive instruction. Here's how to do this, sweetie, and honey, and whatever your terms of endearment are. And as long as they're doing it, you continue to use those terms of endearment and encourage them, and help them, and show them, and help, you know, get down there with them if they're if you're picking up toys, and you're helping pick up the toys to show them how to do it, and all those kinds of things are forming them. And then corrective discipline is when they don't follow the form. They're not doing what you told them to do. They're doing either not, they're falling short or going beyond what you said, which is what sin is. Sin is either not doing what God said to do or doing what he said not to do. And your children are the same way. So you tell them what you expect. And then as long as they're doing it, you're happy, they're happy, everything goes well. And then when they stop doing it or they make a mistake and you've got to make wisdom judgments there, was this a childish act of irresponsibility or was was this willful rebellion or something in between? Because uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go here. But formative and corrective uh, discipline... Is is the implementation of your primary role of providing doctrine and discipline, uh, doctrine and discipline in their lives. And so, uh, um, just a few notes as we go into the, this subject a little more. First of all, you have an obligation as the parent, just as God does for us, to remember their frame. God remembers our frame. He knows that we are flesh. He knows that we are. Frail. He knows that we're weak and he has mercy upon us and he shows kindness to us and grace. And so as you look at your one-year-old, your five-year-old, your ten-year-old and their personalities and all the factors, again, wisdom is not a checklist. Wisdom means you got to take a whole bunch of things and bring them together and make a judgment call uh, in light of all those things. And so, what works with one child may not work with another. You have to make those decisions. God doesn't deal with all of us the same way. He considers our frame. And so, you have to consider their frame. Now, don't use that. Here's the wisdom part. You can't use that as an excuse to not discipline. You can't say, oh, well, he's only two. So, if he, you know, threw a wooden block across the room and hit his sister in the head, that's because he's two. Uh, sweetie, don't do that. Okay, uh, So, you're, you know, you, but it does need to be appropriate for a two-year-old if it's a two-year-old. And if a ten-year-old does that, it's a way different problem. That's why you do want to deal with it when they're two, by the way, because if you do it when you're ten, it's a much more serious situation. Remember their frame. Um, you have to have two things to raise kids and to discipline them right. Resolve and grace. If it's only resolve, you're going to be harsh. I told you such and such. and you can, you can, You're bigger than they are. You're stronger than they are. You can intimidate them. You can make them do things. But that's not the goal. The goal is to lead them to do things. Now, sometimes, in leading them, you make them, okay? Uh, that, I'm not saying there, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, insistence versus tolerance, but you need resolve. That I, Number one, I know what the goal is. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, doctrine and discipline, which is it right now, formative, corrective, and I'm resolved to do it. And that resolve is going to show up in, in that uh, you do it every day and you do it consistently as much as possible. Um, but that takes real resolve. You can't just come to class and get resolved for three days and then drop off. This is a, this is a long-term commitment. You've only just begun. Okay? And the uh, nice part is God doesn't really tell us or let us know how hard it is before they get here. Um, or we wouldn't have them. Uh, it's like a lot of things in life. But you'll be glad you did. If you stick in there and do it well, there'll be blessings and joys. uh, But there will be a lot of hard days between here and there. Um, So, um, insistence versus tolerance. Sometimes people think, well, I'm, I'm I'm a kind and gentle person, and so we end up tolerating things and the things that we shouldn't tolerate in the name of being kind and gracious. Um, and so that—that's on the one side. We have to guard against that. And the other, on the other, is is we must be insistent upon the standards and the rules, but not be harsh. So wisdom again is always. The Pharisee always wants to give you ten things to do and not do and consider all the decisions made. But you're going to have to make judgment calls every single day that involve wisdom. What is the right thing to do right now, today, with this child in this situation? And you have parents on the one hand that are so soft they never insist on anything. A child can really be misbehaving and it's still, oh honey, I want you to come over here and I ask you now to stop doing that. Uh, don't make me have to ask you again and again and again, and then they ask them again and again and again. And so there's a softness there that uh, is in the name of love, ends up not being love. Uh, it can be the other way. People can be too harsh, and, and that's not love either. So I'm very insistent, uh, and if it doesn't happen exactly the way I said, when I said, in every single instance, then I come down like a hammer. That's the that's fallen off the horse on the other side of the end of the ditch. God doesn't say to err to the right. Uh, you know, something like, well, don't err to the left, but it's okay to err on the conservative side. Don't err. That's that's what we're called to do, just like your children are. Okay, you're gonna have, you're gonna want outward obedience and inward obedience. God wants that from you and me. He wants our hearts engaged, loving our children, and love looks different. From moment to moment, love buys ice cream, and love can use a wooden spoon when it needs to love knows the difference, but in in both instances they are expressions of our love for our children and our desire to reach the goal which is godly children all right uh, a few other little details here I may um, one one is we're going to talk through here about God's rules and house rules. God's rules apply to every one of us. Your children can't lie, they can't steal, they can't show disrespect to you, and that's true for every person in here. They must not take the Lord's name, the Ten Commandments, okay, apply to all your kids and to your house. And so every house ought to look alike when it comes to God's rules. But every house doesn't look alike when it comes to house rules, How you enforce some of those things at your house is going to look a little bit different. This is part of being in a community. We do learn things from one another, but we're not trying to goose step. We're not trying to march in a band together in every little detail. So bedtime for your kids may not be the same as the next household. Um, How you handle homework or or any number of other things uh, are going to be different from house to house, and that's okay because every one of us are going to have to make judgments about discipline. Now, here's one of the most critical things. We're going to talk about this in two weeks when we talk about teenagers. It's going to really be important there, but it's not going to work. You can't wait until they're teenagers to do this, or it won't work. You have to decide what you will allow and not allow. Now, I'm just going to jump ahead and give an example. If If... You said, uh, we absolutely would never, ever tolerate four-letter words, curse words coming out of our children's mouths. In every single instance where that would even come close to happening, we would discipline and put an end to that. You say, okay, we are absolutely, it's clear to our children, we don't tolerate that kind of talk in this house. That is not allowed at the Booth's house. And if it ever happens, if I ever hear that come out of your mouth, there's going to be a very high price for you to pay. That is absolutely unacceptable. Now, if that's the position you take, let's say on that issue, I can tell you, you're not going to have kids that use four-letter words at your house. Because they know that you mean business. And they might, you know, once, you know, try it out. And if they pay the price, they won't be trying it again. Okay, But if there are other things where you say, that, well, let's take that one, where you're not clear on that, and they hear you using language like that, and occasionally they do it and they don't get in too much trouble, or you just give them kind of a, now you're not going to talk like that in front of me. Yes, they will, because <laughs> you just told them that the price for doing it isn't very high. So next week when they're mad, they'll do it again. Because you've already let it be known that this is not that big a deal at our house. And uh, you might, you know, they may want to just take their chances. Yeah, I might get in trouble and I might not, but maybe it's worth taking the risk. Or I'll try it out and see. You have to decide what you will and will not allow at your house. And that's going to come to play when they're teenagers about what clothes they wear and how they wear their hair. And... Uh, what music they listen to? Yes, sir? Doing well, you're going to remember our goal here, the name our deal is, is the hearts of our children. As you work with them young, you're going to be setting for them the beauty of Christ and a Christian life. So uh, and you're going to be controlling the outside influences. So that's why the day in and day out here. Are they, yeah, might might they get out with their friends and and let out a few four-letter words in this case? Yeah, they might. But number one, they're going to know it's wrong. Number two, if they get caught, they're going to pay a price. And so it's not not that they won't sin and that they won't sin in the areas that you don't tolerate. It's that, number one, they're not going to sin there as much. Number two, they know there's a high price to pay uh, in light of it and that you will be consistent in enforcing that. So you get here's a here's a basic rule. You get more of what you pay for in, in both directions. If you get rewarded for bad behavior, you get more bad behavior. If there's a payoff. Okay, yeah, my dad'll be mad, but he won't really do anything. And I want to do this anyway, so I'll just do it. It's not it's not that expensive. Uh, yeah, sorry I thought I'd turn that off um, on the other hand if there's a high high price for doing it that's, that hurts in some way you don't want to do that again you know note to myself don't ever talk to your father like that okay it will hurt when you do and it'll hurt hard in in one way or the other so Remember, authority always has to be able to inflict some kind of pain. And I'm not necessarily talking about it. sometimes it's physical and a spanking or something with a child, but there are other kinds of pain. But God talks about His countenance, for example. Uh, we want the countenance of God's countenance to be... We want God to smile at us when He sees us, not frown. Okay, And your children should think that the, the smile of their father... And their mother ought to be the, the things that give them the greatest pleasure, and the frown of their parents ought to be the thing that gives them the greatest displeasure. Now, it won't always be the case, but that's, that is the goal that um, there ought to be a healthy fear. I'm not talking about terror, I am talking about the kind of fear that means respect. But I'll tell you what, I was afraid of my father, and I have a gentle father. He is a kind, kind man. But when I heard the dresser drawer open, because I knew where that was where he kept his weapon of choice for me, I was afraid. I don't mean like afraid that there was no abuse here, but it changed my behavior. Just the sound of him walking in that direction. I knew he meant business. And I knew I had now reached... The limit. And, yes? So do you have to be consistent with everything, like, say you set a rule, okay, and come forward a work in a house, and you punish them up to a certain point, but then you always have to be consistent with that. Like, you always have to punish, them. Even if you don't, you're like, you need to. Yes, uh, that's the goal is consistency. Is there ever, we're going to talk a little bit about, is there ever a place for mercy? In my house, there would be no mercy for that, okay? There are certain things that I put in the top level of things that are absolutely never, ever, under any conditions allowed. And when that, you're going to have to decide which things those are. And it shouldn't be a long list, okay? But this, remember, if, if, if the primary goal here in regard to my ch- what is what is their obligation? What is the rule God's given them? Honor and obey your parents. Respect. And you may not use words like that and be showing me respect. And so disrespect always gets some kind of painful discipline. Now, again, it's not always a spanking. There are other ways of dealing with it. And occasionally there is a warning. in In that particular case, in my house, there would be no warning. There's no warning needed. The warnings have already been given and made clear enough times that I don't need to warn you after you let one rip. Okay? Once it's out of your mouth, you've already you, you've gone too far. That is not tolerated. You will not show disrespect to your mother. That's a high rule. That was a high rule in my house. Disrespect for your mother is not the same as disrespect for me. It's worse. Disrespect for me is really bad. Disrespect for her is worse. So don't even think about it. More on that later. Um, Remember, attitude is going to be critical, and the hearts is what we're trying to win. All right, now, let me jump in here. Uh, Who's in charge? That's the question. A child must learn from the beginning that it is the will of the parents and not their own will that must be followed. Again, we're talking about little children now. They're not going to understand all your rules or why you're doing it, and you don't owe them any explanation. When they're very young, their only response is to do what you said to do, to do it with the right attitude and to do it quickly. Okay? Remember, you're a lot bigger than they are. You can make this happen. The word of the parents is law. Children must learn to respond instantly to their parents, not on the third command, not on the count to three or ten. I do think there is an occasion, uh, we'll get into that if you want to, about counting to three. You know, I want you, I need you to put that up and you've got to the count of three to get that toy from there into that basket. Something like that, okay. But if you're telling them to do something, it's not a countdown before you blast off into losing your temper, and then you really mean it, okay? Or only when you raise your voice do they know you really mean business, okay? You're going to stay calm, and you're going to be uh, gentle in manner, resolute in purpose. Now, I say gentle in manner. There is a time to get firm and very stern, if you will. I said, sit yourself down and look me in the eye and pay attention. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. There's a place, there's a time and a place for that. Okay? So, but that's not losing my temper. That's not over the top. That's not, I'm going to count to ten or tell you eight times. And then only when you hear me start to raise my voice or get up, then all of a sudden you are going to do what I said to do. Never give in to a child that is begging or whining for something he wants. You teach them the proper way to make their needs known. Never give in to whining or begging. Okay, You teach them, if you want something from me, here's how you should ask. Daddy, may I do this? Okay, Because the minute you start begging and whining, you have now ruined your opportunity to gain what you're looking for. Remember, you get more what you pay for. If whining works then you get more whining. If begging works, then you get more begging. But if asking in a proper way gets what you want some of the time, not all the time, uh, if it increases the odds of you getting what you want, then guess what you're going to eventually get? Um, The results of going against the will of the parents must be the controlled use of pain. Now, I'm using that i want to give my one disclaimer again. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about anything that's inappropriate here, but some kind of painful experience. We'll talk about alternatives or maybe things in addition to using some form of a spanking rod or something like that. Certainly, the Bible is clear about the use of that, of spanking, in the right context. But I do think there are other methods that are, in principle, the same thing. What is the principle? I just said it. Pain. Okay? And what's going to be painful to your 13-year-old is not the same. Spanking not all that effective, but I can think of a lot of things that are. I don't do painful things. Do you? Not if I can help it. I avoid them. And that's the principle. Okay? The reason I don't crack jokes about having a gun when I go through the metal detector at the airport is I don't want to face the pain that they're going to inflict on me for having done that. Right? And and they've made that clear. they got the signs posted. Don't, you know, don't make any comments about weapons. You do, they'll have you hauled off into a back room somewhere, giving you the third degree. They mean business, and I know they mean business, and I'm not willing to even test that. So, when I say pain, it could be just your displeasure. Here's another principle the least amount of pressure that gets what you want is what you should use. You don't kill a fly with a sledgehammer. Sometimes a look works, right? You can look at your child and they know what that means, stop. Sometimes a word, like stop, works. Sometimes come here. Sometimes um, a thump. My mother had a pinch that she could use in church that was very effective on me. Uh, And then you think of it like a rheostat on a dimmer switch, okay? You don't just flip the lights on automatically. You just kind of say, well, what's working? And we'll try this for a while. If that doesn't work, we'll up the pain threshold. I used to say to my children, uh, when you sin in the family, it creates pain for me. And what, And the one rule you need to learn from me is I have the ability to inflict more pain than you do of some sort. You want to try it again? Back to the question, what? Who's in charge? That has to be absolutely clear. You always have to win. This is a challenge. You know, think of it just humorously as a game show, okay? And you're trying to win, and they are too. And you have decided they're never going to win. Now, are they ever going to get benefits? Absolutely. Lots of grace, lots of love, lots of joy, lots of just frivolous delights that you give your children, okay? But that's grace, and that's your love for them and caring for them. But when it comes to disobedience, and why is this so important? You're trying to save their life. You're trying to make them into adults that everybody else wants to be around. You're raising your grandchildren's parents. And you want them to, to be really good at it. And so that's why you're insisting on this kind of atmosphere and behavior. And we're going to talk about A lot of time when we first start talking about this, all we see is this picture of the tears and the showdown. But we're gonna be talking about how we get from the tears to the happy part here, which is the goal. It's never just about the pain. The pain is about leading to some kind of positive gain. Um, And so you cannot train a child until you first have brought that child under your control. If I can use uh, uh, dogs as an example, I have border collies and I went out and watched a fellow train border collies. Border collies herd sheep. But as he's training young dogs, he put on their collar, instead of a regular leash, he had this, uh, basically it was a wire. It was hard to see. The dog would think that he was not on a leash. As long as the dog knew that the guy could reel him in, if he didn't uh, do what he was told to do, he would, he would be obedient. But if he ever got him off the leash, and, and then the dog wouldn't be obedient and so there was a point kind of midway in the training where he put this wire on where the dog could get further away, and he could give a command. And the dog was like a teenager, had this decision to make. Uh, Can I get away with this or not? And, it, of course, if he didn't do what he's told, the guy would bring him in and, and, you know, scold him and then send him out to do it again. And so you're, you're back. Uh, the point here was this shepherd was training this sh- Sheepdog, but he had to establish who was in control. Who's making the decisions around here? Is it me or you? And so establishing the control that you're the boss and they're not. You cannot establish control without conflict. You cannot establish control without conflict. Children will always test the boundaries. That's their job almost, okay? To get up every day and find out where the limits are. And to see if you really meant that when you said, don't touch that. What happens when I do? I remember one pastor talking about, told, I told my son not to touch something. And so he got a ruler, and he did that. Okay? He's a Pharisee, right? He's going to, I didn't touch it, the ruler touched it. Okay, and he found out that didn't work either. Okay, so kids are always going to see, you know, they're very good lawyers, uh, actually. Uh, well, not as good as they think they are. But they always can argue the case that somebody else got to do it and I didn't, or, you know, I didn't technically, I didn't touch it, you know. Um, so uh, parents must win every challenge to their authority, no matter how insignificant it may seem. Attitude is as important as outward obedience. Father and mother always win. And we're going to say more about attitude. But we do Sometimes the first thing I insist on is outward obedience. Think about this. If you, ta- if a child, if you were teaching a child and they were, they were doing this, what would you say to them if you were over here teaching them? Sit up and look at me. Right? That's outward conformity. Is it possible to sit up and look at somebody and not listen to them? Yeah. But you know that their physical outward expression of that is related to their hearts. And it's it's very also very likely that if they if you do stop them from being distracted, and that's why a lot of times you're going to say, I need you to look at me. I want to be sure that we're communicating. Okay? Now, can you do that and then not hear you? Yes. But it's much more likely, once you get the outward conformity, that you'll then get the heart. Okay? So, but what you won't get is if you don't have the outward conformity, you won't get the heart. I love uh, Diane Douglas's phrase, which she uses with her children, particularly younger children. I need to see your happy eyes. Is You know, they've corrected them and they're going to go do it. All right, before you leave, I need to see your happy eyes. And they can do it, right? They can't, because that's a reflection of something in here. Okay? Can they fake it? They can but it's harder with happy eyes. Um, Every conflict is an opportunity for challenge, or excuse me, for change and growth. We don't like conflict, so we go out of our way to avoid it. This is where many parents fail. I don't like the conflict. I'd just rather not deal with it. Just let them do it. It's just not worth it. Pay me now or pay me later. Okay, You're going to think it's worth it when they're 15. Now, you won't necessarily connect the dots. Most parents don't. All they know is they've got an unruly 15-year-old. I thought of this the other day I was driving. This is kind of a common thing. Behind every successful child is an adult. And behind every disaster of a child is an adult. It's only only question of what kind of adults are behind them. Those children, in both cases, are the products of the adults behind them. Conflict cannot be avoided. When two wills, are involved, they inevitably want to go in different directions. Children are in a perpetual pursuit of happiness that is selfishness that is selfish in nature and seeks instant gratification. I want it, and I want it now. The long-term happiness of you and your child is often in conflict with the short-term goals of the child. I don't want to eat that. But it's good for you. Yeah, but I don't want it. I want dessert. Likewise, parents often opt for the short-term gratification of avoiding conflict at the expense of the long-term benefit of establishing control. That's back to the, oh, it's just not worth the hassle. Hebrews 12.11 says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Let me say that again. All discipline for the moment Seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Keeping your eyes on the long-term principles and goals of child-rearing is what gets you through the moment. It makes you get up and deal with an issue that you'd rather not deal with, but you understand that not dealing with it now means you deal with it later." There was an old, I don't remember, was it Fram oil filter, they had a series of commercials. You can pay a little more for a good oil filter, or you can, the mechanic would say, you can pay me now, or you can pay me later. So if you went ahead and bought the good oil filter and protected your engine, then, yeah, it's a few extra bucks. But if you don't, then, you know, later the whole engine's blown, and you can pay me then. So which is it going to be? Pay me now, today, for this incident with the two-year-old? They'll pay me later when they're 14. Which, which one do you want? Conflict is part of the training process. Oftentimes the greatest advances in child training come immediately after some of the greatest conflicts are won by the parents. Some of the greatest advances come right after the conflict and, and where you won. The greatest fight occurs right before the ship goes down. Because you have that big conflict, and they, they're pushing you and pushing you, they're trying to get you to blink. They're trying to get you to back down. They're trying to raise your pain level enough that you don't want to deal with it anymore. And they are in the same struggle for control. And so if I can throw a fit and Mama will buy me the toy at Walmart, then, again, I'll do it again and again and again. It's paid off. I've, I've raised her pain level By me throwing a fit in public and her being embarrassed and her not being willing to to deal with that, I've raised the cost to her at such a level that next time I may not even have to throw a fit. She'll just buy me the toy to avoid me throwing the fit. Therefore, parents, Galatians 6, 9 let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we don't grow weary. It might be a good verse to memorize. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. The fear and the pleasure of Father ought to be pretty high in the eyes of your kids. Now, I'm using, remember, everything that's true of a father is also true of a mother. They're a team. The Bible requires children to look at father and mother the same. But I'm really emphasizing the responsibility of fathers here to set the pace and not just leave it to the mom. When your child disobeys or rebels against you, he ought to think the world's coming to an end. If it's an open, in-your-face rebellion. In fact, his world is coming to an end, at least the world that he rules in. There should be no reward for rebellion. Your child's greatest fear in life should be the displeasure of his father, just as the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The father and the mother as the father's representative ought to be feared or respected. The child should come to think in terms of avoiding parental displeasure, because he always loses. Note. Again, we are speaking in the context of godly, loving parents, not abusive and disobedient parents. Your child's greatest pleasure in life ought to be to receive the pleasure and approval of his father and mother. Just as a Christian should live to please God, the child should also live to please his parents. Therefore, parents must be careful to be consistent and perpetual in offering both discipline and approval. That's hard sometimes for parents. Good parents oftentimes are too good uh, at seeing what's wrong with their kids. We need to see what's wrong with them. We're trying to fix them. We're trying to address these issues. But make sure that they are also getting a lot of your approval, a lot of pats on the back, a lot of good job. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You did a very good job. thank Thank you for getting up and helping bring the groceries in without being asked. I'm impressed. You really are becoming a young man. You're, you know, you're, you're a blessing to our house. There's all kinds of ways to do that. Do it often. Not flattery. It has to be real. It has to be the truth. And so, uh, without, one without the other cannot accomplish proper child training. So if, you do, if all you do is compliment, you're going to have a problem. And if all you do is correct, you're going to have a problem. You've got to have both. This is simply training the way God trains us. He blesses us when we obey. In fact, he does so lavishly, above and beyond all we could ask or think. But whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he chastens every son. Now, let's talk about rebellion. It's important to distinguish in a child the difference between childish ignorance and willful rebellion. Some commands a child cannot obey because they've never been taught or trained. They may also be unable to do certain things other children can do. They may be clumsy, or perhaps they really didn't hear what you said. Yes? Oh, absolutely. Sure. That's not a problem. All right, so we're talking about rebellion, distinguishing between childish irresponsibility or childish ignorance and willful rebellion. Um, And so there are differences. Um, On the other hand, so they may be clumsy, they may not be able to do it. Maybe they really didn't hear you. On occasion, that's that's true. Um, On the other hand, willful rebellion is when a child either actively or passively rejects your authority. They do know what you want them to do, and they are able to do it. They just don't want to do it. So the basic principle is this, the big picture of child training must always be kept in mind because a particular incident may seem small and inconsequential. Authority and control, though, are always the primary issues. The particular conflict between parent and child may be easy to excuse. Oh, she's tired or sick or she hates that job, or, and so you make an excuse for sinful behavior. But if it's sinful rebellion, it is still sinful rebellion. So if you told your child, let's say they're really tired and it's past their bedtime, and you see, you know, you know that, uh, but now you told them to go pick up their toys and they throw a fit, they throw themselves in the floor, having a fit. Oh, well, she's so tired or he's tired, and you pick them up while they're, you know, fighting and fussing and carry them off the bed because, well, you know, I'm excusing sinful behavior because they were tired. Were they tired? Yes should you say to yourself you know i need to be a lot more sensitive to this tomorrow night and the rest of the nights to make sure they go to bed sooner so that we don't have this showdown but we're having a showdown right now the showdown isn't it's not a sin to be tired it is a sin to be tired and act like that there's a right way to be tired and a wrong way to be tired and you're going to teach them first time it happens you're going to correct them Uh, You're going to, you know, obviously the level of discipline and training looks one way at the beginning and another way if it's happening six weeks or six months later. Okay? But you see my point there? Why do you sin? In every sin you commit, aren't there reasons you could give? Sometimes I sin because I'm tired. I had a hard day. Um... I just wanted to. It looked good. That's what Eve happened with Eve, right? Okay. There's always a reason you sin. The question is, is that then is it okay to sin because you had a reason to do it? You know, temptation wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't so tempting. And it's tempting to act sinfully when you just want to have your way. They know. So in rebellion, they know what you want. They're able to perform it. They just don't want to obey. And so, again, you get more of what you pay for. When the child perceives any kind of of payoff for their rebellion, you are guaranteed to get more rebellion later. Perhaps their unpleasantness causes you to avoid asking them to do things in the future. And by the way, grown-ups do this too, okay? If I know if you do something, if my wife does something I don't like, and I have a negative response to her... And sometimes, you know, husbands and wives can either, they can blow up, they can clam up, they can pout, they can do all kinds of things. It's a way of sending a signal to the other person, you know what, Um, you may have gotten away with this this time, but you better think twice before you try that again. Because here's what you can expect again, is this behavior. So we all do that. And our children do it, and we don't want them to do it. Uh, as much as they do, and we need to work on it in ourselves. So, for example, someone might ask uh, a spouse who's clammed up, what's wrong? Nothing. Now, I can tell something's wrong. What is it? Nothing. They're lying, right? So, they're sinning by lying, by saying it's nothing when it's something, and so what they want you to do is ask them about eight more times so they can really explode. Okay? And so what you what would you do to stop that kind of behavior? When they tell you nothing, then take them at their word and walk away and act like there's nothing. I promise you they'll be letting you know that it was something. Okay? But what you've done is say, but that but that approach doesn't work. It's okay to say, well, I'm really upset with you, but I need some time to think about it before we talk. That's okay. But don't lie. But you see, we do it as adults, and kids do it too. And so if they perceive a payoff, you're going to get more of it. Perhaps they're unpleasant. Again, you may then want to avoid that situation, or you simply do it yourself because you don't want the hassle. Then guess what? They won and you lost. There should never, ever be a payoff for any kind of rebellion. That's not childish irresponsibility. Okay? Set the glass too close to the table. You've told them ten times to set their glass back so they don't knock it over. But they do it again and they knock it over. Okay, you may scold them. I told you to set that back. Don't do that again. Okay. And at some point, if they keep doing that, and sure enough, if they set it there and when you're not looking, they knock it off on purpose uh, just to show you. Then you can see the the qualitative difference in those behaviors. Um, so. So here we go. Let's do this list and we'll take a a break. Um, What does rebellion look like? Here's some obvious. I'm going to talk about obvious rebellion and subtle rebellion. I'm just going to make a a list here. Uh, Obvious rebellion, saying no. Stomping the foot. Maranelle was just telling me as we drove in, her mother absolutely did not allow foot stomping. She tried that, I guess, once or twice and failed. Swinging the fist. Uh, growling, that's a favorite of little boys, hitting or kicking, temper fits of various types, running away while you're instructing or correcting, talking back, whining, and pouting. Those are open acts of rebellion. Okay, subtle or passive rebellion. As they get older, they, these are the ones they move toward, okay? Outward compliance with inward resentment. Facial expressions. Glaring, clenching the teeth, rolling the eyes, a favorite of teenage girls. Forgetting. You know in the Bible, forgetting is a sin? Thou shalt remember, the Bible says over and over. Okay? So for, if you didn't, if you're commanded to remember and you didn't, you just sinned. You just broke the rule. I forgot to clean my room. I forgot to make my bed. I forgot to brush my teeth. Okay, well, right after I spank you, you're going to go brush your teeth. Okay, and tomorrow if you don't brush your teeth, I'm going to spank you for not brushing your teeth and for forgetting. You'll get two. Forgetting is part of what you're, remembering is part of what you're required to do. Failure to carry out an instruction. Okay, that's passive rebellion. I just didn't do what you said to do. Doing a sloppy job on a required task. Doing what's required but not doing it in the right way. Delaying obedience until a new threat is issued. That's another form of passive rebellion. I know that mom doesn't really mean it until she gets loud or comes toward me. Or I told you to get over here and do this. Okay, now she means it. Okay. And so that's a passive form of rebellion. I'm going to get as much territory as I can in terms of the who's in charge question. Um, And so uh, let's take a break here, and we'll come back and talk some more about this.